This is the Acts 2028 podcast, where two young Church of God pastors discuss the challenges and victories we face in leading revitalization. I am TJ Samuel. I am Brian Seidel. I am in an urban context in Seattle, Washington. I am in a suburban and rural context in Boise, Idaho. I am in a liberal state. I am in a conservative state. My ministry background is in missions. My ministry background is in youth ministry. And yet we are both in our first lead roles. Help God revitalize the existing church in the Pacific Northwest. We are helping each other. And you. To truly live out Acts 20, 28. Well, TJ, here we are again uh, on to our next episode. And, you know, we uh, always have a lot to talk about and always are excited to get together and just kind of share what's going on in our life and, and faith and leadership in our churches. But, you know, again, we left off on our last episode um, saying that we were going to talk about our online presence, how important that's been, and also the ongoing deal with COVID and how we're dealing with that. However, uh, this last week, we were both kind of thrown a curveball uh, in some ways. And again, we sh- shared our stories and how we met each other and have interacted through different ways. But again, our stories crossed, right? In the fact that we both worked at the same church, not at the same time, but in the same position uh, at different times. But uh, there was a man in that church, very prominent member and in at that church at Cloverdale in Boise that suddenly passed away. And so it was a shock um, to everybody really. And um, but also, again, uh, he was a huge influence in that church, um, a big influence for you and I both. Uh, and so, so we attended his funeral actually together um, last Friday. And and again, as you as we've shared, you know, I think our audience knows we live in different states, right? We are uh, not not close to each other. We can't just grab coffee all the time. But uh, but again, we were together last Friday. Um, for Mel's, uh, Mel Snyder was his name for Mel's, uh, funeral. So, um, so today, like I said, as, uh, I think we just need to take a pause, right? Because in the midst of this, you know, flexibility that we've dealt with and, and, and again, you literally got on a plane and came, you know, for, for his funeral. And, uh, again, I drove, I, I drove, so it was a little, a little closer for me, but, um, but yeah, again, we, we were there together and, um, you know, again, we got this, this shock, right. Of Mel's passing. So what do you think? Should we just talk about him a little bit today? Yeah, I think, um, it creates a nice little, like you said, an intersection between both of our ministries and another relationship that we're both tethered to that's a commonality or common ground. But I think what's like maybe important that maybe would arise from this is the fact that, um, as pastors now too, and the roles that we hold is, um, you know, senior pastors or lead pastors, it is very important to have people like Amel Snyder that are lay people that are there um, for leadership. And you even have a, you know, a scripture probably that we're going to go over here a little bit later that will speak to God's word about that. So don't just take our word for that. Uh, you know, that's found in the Bible and that's where this stuff is, is kind of a derivative from is, you know, we're going back to the word for these things, but I think also, also it's important to hear our heart 
and um, to hear the significance or impact, because maybe there's people that are out there listening that um, maybe aren't pastors, maybe they're supporters in our congregation, but they're looking at how can I get involved? Like, how do I engage in a meaningful way? And I know that that's been like a a really tough thing, even for men sometimes to grasp. If I don't play in the worship team, if I don't pass around an offering plate and stuff like that on Sunday morning, what is my role besides just bringing my family? And um, newsflash, we don't even pass around offering plates anymore because of COVID. Another one of those things we'll get back to probably. So uh, yeah. So how do we engage? How do we use our gifts uh, with a kingdom mindset? And part of that is just to expand our bandwidth to reach people. And I think that's what that was, was a celebration of life. And on this side, I think you would probably echo the same sentiment is when we have a moment like this, and even though it's bittersweet, when we lose someone uh, that we're so close to, that's meant a lot to ministry, it's bittersweet because we know that they are running the race to win the prize. And we know that that's not here. And so even though it was hard, and like you said, I bought a plane ticket, Thursday night and was there Friday morning. So I had to call. I couldn't even book it online because it was less than 24 hours of checking in. And, uh, but God provides, and I was glad that I was able to do that. So yeah, let's jump into it. So yeah, definitely. And and again, like we said, um, you know, Mel was, he was a very integral part, a member of the church at Cloverdale. Um, he was, and again, like I said, he was not on staff. He was not a pastor, but he was a lay leader. Most definitely. He held lots of different, roles within that church. I know while I was there and, and just as we heard at his service, and, and I agree with you, it was, that was not a funeral. That was a celebration of a life well lived. It was a celebration of him being with his God, right? Receiving his full reward of heaven. Uh, you know, one of the things, again, it was, it was just a service that I felt just really honored his life and, um, you know, was, and again, obviously, right. Like you said, it's bittersweet. I, I mean, and, um, you know, and all of that, but, but definitely, um, you know, as you know, especially as pastors, I think, you know, we've done a lot of funerals, we've attended a lot of funerals and, um, there's a, a very big difference between a funeral and a celebration of a life well lived. Yeah. And, you know, and de- definitely, uh, you know, Mel lived life well, um, he loved God and he served God well. Um, and, you know, even in the midst of that, and to say that, even as we talk about Mel and to say, again, Joy, his wife, she was obviously at the, at the service and there. Absolutely. And, and you know, but again, what was one of the things about Mel that I just appreciated so much was, and it was mentioned in the service, but how seriously he took his marriage, you know, how close him and Joy were again, that they, um, and even that they did a lot of these things and I'm sure we're going to talk about that Mel did for us and for the churches they were in, but they did them together. They did them as a family. Uh, and, and again, that was a great example, um, even of just of how, how do you do family well and how do you do marriage well? And, mm. um, you know, seeing that about, uh, in his life. And so again, just to think about that, just kind of, you know, what was Mel to each of us? And I think, Again, when I, when I went to Cloverdale, I was, uh, Cloverdale was my first full-time pastoral position. And so I would, you know, I'd served in other churches. I'd been in paid roles, but like internships and different things. But uh, like I said, Cloverdale was my first full-time paid, you know, so quote unquote professional position, right. As a youth pastor. And when we got there, they said, literally I was single when they hired me there. I mean, I got married a couple of weeks later, you know, so, but technically I was single when they hired me, right? We got, I got married and, and we just kind of moved into this new season of life and ministry there. But Mel, again, was one of those people that, 
um, was just kind of an instant friend. Like he was there to, to welcome me. Obviously other people in the church were very welcoming and things like that too. But, but Mel, um, was a guy that, like I said, he served in a lot of different roles and things, but, but he, he, he became kind of a, a, an instant role model for me. I mean, because he was, you know, obviously a lot older than me. He was, you know, further down his road of faith and, and of experience. Again, he, he grew up in a pastor's home. And so he kind of understood what that life was like. And I think literally from the very beginning, Mel spoke into my life in ways that, again, I, I value very highly. Um, and again, he was, he supported in a, so many ways. I mean, there was, again, he's a very generous man. Um, and, and again, that's kind of one of the things that everybody knew, right. Cause again, he was a very successful businessman. So he had, you know, means to help and to donate and give, and he did that a lot. Uh, but it, it wasn't just financial. Like, like I think about Mel and Joy, they were always there of like, if there was a need, like they were there to meet it. And, uh, and again, we, you know, we talked the other day and I think I remember telling you that there was a point where, uh, you know, again, we were, we were, you know, newly married young couple, like just starting out in our careers. And uh, in fact, when we started Cloverdale, my wife was still in college. She was, she was a year behind me. And so again, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot, you know, and there were different struggles that came along and, and again, you know, how, how we pay youth pastors in the American church is a whole different, you know, topic that we'll have to talk about at some point. But again, we just, we didn't have a lot of money. And I remember at one point, um, like our truck broke down, like, like literally the transmission goes out in our truck and, um, you know, we didn't have any money to fix it. We didn't have any, you know, of course we were out. And again, there were other people in the church that helped us to pay for the repair of the truck. But then we were also down a vehicle. And we in that, and like Mel literally um, just, Hey, what's going on with your truck? And told him like, well, we kind of got it figured out. And he's like, well, do you need a vehicle? I'm like, well, yeah, like we're down to one vehicle. My wife's got to get to her student teaching, whatever. And he literally tosses me the keys to his truck and says, here you go. Use it as long as you need to. And, and I mean, I literally drove his truck for a couple months, right. While they fixed mine, you know, and put a new transmission in it and all this stuff. And like I said, he was, uh, that's just the guy he was. And, and that was just one example of, of what, uh, you know, some of the ways that he supported me and personally, but again, I but it wasn't just me. I mean, I saw him do that for so many other people, you know, very similar things. Yeah. And, and maybe the word that I would use to describe that be is like, uh, I would say wholeness, like, so you, we touched on the financial aspect, but I think, you know, I'll maybe focus on a couple of other stories that came through the celebration of life that we just talked about was, um, you know, and very apt that you say that joy was a part of that and to be successful, like pause, uh, break a little part here for our wives. Like I can think, I think we can both say we wouldn't be where we were without our wives and oh, absolutely we do what we're able to do. So yeah, first and foremost, I'm glad you put joy out there that that's um, not just having joy in your heart, but in Mel's case, joy is your wife. And so, yeah, we had those things going there. And, you know, some of the things that I think, and, and when you use that word wholeness, um, you know, we know that biblically and stuff, although we focus sometimes on the financial need because that arises so often in the church and, um, you know, just with people in general, but uh, the wholeness piece that came out of that in two different parts were uh, his first pastor that was there in Idaho, Jack Reisner, who now works for Convoy of Hope. And we worked with him on the mission side. You know, you talk about the youth side, I talk about the mission side and um, they do crisis relief, but he was Mel's first pastor in, in Boise. And so 
he got up and spoke to the fact that one of Mel's daughters were babysitting his kids. And apparently she didn't like uh, the snacks or the lack thereof in their pantry. And so like one of the things that he did was like the next day, Mel came to the house and asked his wife, do you trust me? And she was like, uh, I think so. He's like, well, then go in your room, shut the door. Don't come out until I, I tell you to. And uh, what Mel proceeded to do was he had taken his kids to go to like Costco and different stores to uh, not only get them things, but to like get them food and meet them at their point of need and say like, hey, here's a bunch of food and then left. And she came out to, you know, a stocked pantry. Um, I think, you know, we talk about the intersection of Cloverdale. I think of one of the, you know, reasons of going was, uh, was Tommy, you know, Pastor Tom, he has such a, an influence in his life. You know, we talk about where we're at starting in our thirties, taking on these established churches. That's exactly where Tom was when Mel came into his life. And so I think that that's pertinent to, um, you know, share people that came alongside him. And at that point, Mel was just probably, you know, about 40 himself, you know, I mean, he wasn't a really yeah. old man at that point. So, um, you know, you don't have to be old, like in the sense of not that, you know, 40 is even old, we're, we're, we're there now. So, <laughs> but that those things are, <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> are, are that, that big of a thing, but, you know, for one of the things that Tom mentioned, and this goes to that wholeness piece is, um, that when Tom lost his son and when they had the terrible car accident, that Mel and Joy were with him and Denise for like 72 consecutive days. Like they just didn't let them out of their sight as they were grieving and wanted them to be able to walk through that and to undergird them. And so like, if you think of somebody in your part, or if you're somebody in a congregation and you're just thinking like, how can I do this? I don't have a ton of resources. I can't compete with a Mel Snyder and stuff like that financially, man, being present, like, I think that's where you're talking about. He did all of it. And that's where wholeness comes in. Like yes. 72 days of like, Hey, I'm not going to let you fail. You are my pastor. I understand that you're human, that you have weaknesses and I want to be there for you. I want to step in that gap for you. And so I think that's one of the things that I kind of took away um, was the wholeness piece that Mel was always there. If you ever left his house uh, hungry, um, that was on you. Like, he wasn't, it wasn't because of Mel. Like, I think he, one of his sole abilities was if I stayed in Boise longer, I would have been 300 pounds and rightfully the heir of my Samoan roots, you know, I would have been a big boy, but, uh, you know, as Lord saw fit, that wasn't the case, but man, you know, here's a guy that really did get that. I mean, embodied, you know, we talk about gifts, hospitality, all those things. And so maybe I'll throw it back to you a little bit there, but um, I do have one more thing that I want to ask you a question after that. Do you have anything you want to tag onto that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I think, yes, I, I do. To answer your question, I do have one to tag onto that is that again, he was a man that, like you said, that wholeness of character. And again, he was, he was a man that um, again, was, was blessed financially and he blessed a lot of people with his financial resources. But again, it wasn't just that again, he helped in so many ways. Like I said, he filled a lot of different roles in the church he was very encouraging, right? Uh, again, he was serious about his own walk and faith with God. Um, he, you saw that embodied again, like we mentioned his marriage and his family and his roles in the church and, and all of these different things. And I think there was, um, you know, again, and even at the service that those that spoke shared all, a lot of different, you know, phrases and taglines and things that Mel said to them and, and kind of, 
you know, all of those things. I remember one, one of those things, one of the things I remember Mel saying so many times was don't rob me of my blessing. And, you know, again, he'd offer to pay for something or offer to, you know, use this or go that or take you on a trip or, you know, donate whatever it was. And, and again, at, at times it was a little overwhelming, right. You know, to be helped or to be encouraged or to be all those kind of things. And, you know, so I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I can accept that. And, or I don't know if it's, you know, that's too much or, you know, whatever. And he would always say, he said, Hey, this is my role is to do this, to help you. So don't rob me of my blessing. Right. Because, because God's led me to do this. So let me do it. Yeah. Right? And, and again, that, that was always a huge, huge encouragement. And I think one, not just from that side, but again, being obedient to what God leads you to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I again, what, and again, like you said, whether that's, it might be financial, but most likely it's not financial. It's probably the time you give, right. Or the companionship that you provide or the support you give the encouragement, the, you know, the prayer that somebody gives, you know, whatever that would be, uh, is that it, you know, again, do what God leads you to do. Like, and you, you get, you receive the blessing from fulfilling that. Right. And I'll throw in a couple other trigger words there and I'll throw in some of those phrases that we heard at the celebration. But, um, I think, uh, first and foremost, uh, like, one of the funny words that, you know, Pastor Tom and I would laugh at was when Mel had to go to the bathroom, he said he had to void. I don't know if you remember him saying that, like he has to go void. And uh, like, that was the first thing that came to mind when I like heard of his passing. I was like, man, that's the first time for me that void and Mel has really made sense besides just the bathroom. <laughs> like, man, like, how are we going to fill this void? And I don't think that you can, but there was solace in the fact that he was able to move on. So that's one thing. Um, another phrase that was used was uh, because he was an optimist, like he was always the one pushing. Like when you look at Cloverdale, um, they wouldn't have the sanctuary, uh, the new side that they have. If Mel wasn't a catalyst and saying, look to the future, I think God is calling us to more. We're going to go into deeper waters with him and he's going to be there to provide. And so, like, I think having optimists around you again, like we're just outlaying a couple of ways that people can engage in a meaningful way, like if you have a positive attitude and outlook on life, that is contagious and that is great. So bring that to the table. And kind of the phrase that went with that was you can't shoulda, right? You can't shoulda. And can't shoulda means you should have done this instead. So you can't do that. You either step forward into that fullness or that grace, or you take that shot and uh, you live with that. And so I think in sports, being sports guys, we love those guys that want to put that on their shoulders and want to carry that. Um, you know, side note for my sports team would be, you know, I grew up in the Vancouver area. So Portland is a hop, skip and a jump. I was about uh, 10 minutes from what was then the uh, Memorial Coliseum, now the Rose Garden, now the Moda Center uh, and the Blazers. And just last night in a game, Dame hit a big three to put the Golden State Warriors away with 13.7 seconds. We love those guys that are willing to put it on the line to take that shot and take those risks. And he was one of those guys that didn't just do it uh, flippantly. He understood and stewardship was another part of that, but he did the best that he could. And he was willing to take those risks because he was so connected to God, to his wife, to those things that he knew um, the risk associated with it. And he'd probably say, you know, he wasn't the best Christian, but that was one of the biggest things. And so here's the question I want to throw back to you. 
that I find also some hope and some solace in is his parents were in ministry. And so they had this thing. And so this was modeled at an early age. And so although Mel passed away, you know, in his seventies, um, I can work backwards from that and say, you know, we both have uh, sons and a daughter. And uh, like, we're looking at this from the standpoint of how do we raise them up and what are they being modeled and how will they take on that? And that gives me a lot of hope that what was being modeled to uh, him as a PK and things like that, from that standpoint, that they were so important. So that gives me hope for my kiddos as we look forward to that of the role that they can play and that what's being shared with them. And it just makes me that much more excited as a father that, uh, man, if my kids can make or understand and make a difference in some capacity, again, maybe not financially, but some of those other ways we've outlined uh, and I'm all for that. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, I think to that point, I think one of the things that obviously his parents modeled for them right? Was that ministry was their calling. It wasn't their kids' calling necessarily. And just as we mentioned, right? Mel was a, a, a brilliant businessman. He was just a lifelong entrepreneur. He was very successful in a lot of different industries. But I think to that point is that he was a PK, but he wasn't forced into ministry, right? Because of that fact, right? They, right. they let him live into the identity that God gave him as a businessman, right? Or, or whatever, right? Again, and I think that was one of the things that I really appreciated about Mel um, and why I continued a relationship with Mel um, even, even after I left Cloverdale. And in fact, you know, that's one of the awesome things about just moving across the valley, still being, you know, just in this same area, still in the metro area was I could still get together with various people, right, from that last season of life. And uh, again, there, there were some people that, um, you know, that I'm still really close to that we talked to all the time from Cloverdale or, you know, that we met at Cloverdale. But again, Mel was one of those inner circle people for me. And he, he was a guy that um, while I was at Cloverdale, I would see him, you know, on a Sunday or whatever we interacted on a regular basis. But after I left Cloverdale, when I took Oregon Trail and I came out here, and especially those early years, because especially those early years when the church was small and lots of hard decisions, lots of hard discussions and all those things, Mel was always right there for me. And I had, I had lunch with him on a regular basis um, a lot in those first two, three years. And, and like I say, he was a safe place for me, one, because I knew that he understood church. I knew that he understood what a, a pastor's life was like, because he, like you said, he grew up in that environment. And I knew that he was going to give me godly advice. And he did that a lot. And like I said, he was one of, one of those people for me. Um, and the, again, I think that brings up the bigger concept of saying, no matter where you're at in ministry, whether you're a professional pastor or a lay leader or whatever role you have in your church, especially in the established church, if you're in this revitalization type of moment is that you need those people in your life. You need the inner circle of people that you can confide in, that you can talk to, that you can get advice from, and, and, and that you trust they're going to give you biblical advice and godly advice and wise advice. And again, there's, you know, like I said, there's a few people in your life or, and if you don't have them, you just need to find them. Right. But people that you can turn to. And like I said, one of the things I appreciated was about Mel and him being one of those people for me, especially in that season was that he wasn't connected to my church, right? <laughs> but he was also a very safe place, right? And I knew he's going to give me godly, wise advice and, and, or encouragement. 
And so sometimes, like I said, I would just go and I just had to vent to him. Right. But it was a safe place to do that because I knew that he had my best interest in mind and he, and he was not directly connected to any of those people or those situations. Right. Which, I mean, I think is huge. I mean, you know, maybe we can talk about this at a different date, but we talked about, you know, part of being here and some of those things. And I don't know what your structure is like, and we can save this for a little bit of that. uh, Another topic, maybe you jotted down, but it was like, uh, one of the things that we've done since I've been here in my first year was we've incorporated uh, outside elders, right? So like those people that, I know that's more of a formal thing, but you sought that out on your own outside of what would be your normal bylaws. But one of the things that we've implemented since I've been here was, uh, you know, bringing on two other elders that are exterior members that give great perspective that, you know, again, aren't caught in the forest sometimes with us. And for those reasons that you just described, we're talking about leadership and those rules that they can give insight a, because they have context and background, which you just established with Mel. And then B they have uh, a passion or love for your ministry or your church or a kingdom mindset. And they want to see these things continue to be advanced. And so like we just had, um, a couple people come on ours. So like our two for ours are um, Ben Schuler, who's like uh, number two with Natalie uh, with Church of God right under Jim Lyon. And then we also had uh, Bob Christensen, who was the senior pastor here at this church back in the 80s before we got what is now known as Fairview back to the Woodland Park Church of God days. And uh, so he was here, you know, at that point. And then he was also the interim right before I came back in. And uh, yeah, longer story is when I left Vancouver, he went to Vancouver and then I went to Boise. And by the time I left Boise, I came and tagged him out. So we have this fun little small circle thing again that I left Vancouver. He went to Vancouver. He came to Seattle and then I came to Seattle. So we've returned that favor. But I think that's very important, whether that is a formal structure like we have or like you encouraging other pastors to go and seek that out, whether it's, you know, a voting member or not to have an outside perspective, a safe place to share um, people that you can lay that out. You know, I, I describe it like a presidential cabinet. You got to have those people around you, like you said, that you rely on, that, you know, we're going through these phases in our lives and we've all had, you know, little ones that are like, hey, I love you. And, you know, if you do this, you're going to need like three change outfits because your little one is going to have like a a blowout and you're going to be stuck with that. I love you enough to tell you that's what's going to happen. And I love you enough to say, I'm going to be here to help you clean it up. But I wouldn't love you if I didn't tell you that was going to be the outcome. And so, I mean, again, like you're talking about being present, being in a leadership role, again, identifying your gifts, your talents, your abilities, and using those, you know, we lock, we, we use the three T's a lot of time. And so if we just strictly omit the, the, the treasure piece, how do you have time and talent? That might be another way of measurement for people to say, okay, great. You don't have the big treasure. You're, you're limited in that capacity, but you might have time and you might have a talent. And those are the areas where you can invest. So I don't want us to, you know, miss that part, but yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So again, just as you said, right. Like leading into that, there are lots of different gifts, right? There are lots of different abilities. I mean, God has created us all different with different 
you know, gifts and resources and kind of all those things. But yeah, he brings us all together in the church. And that's, that's again, well, I think one of the awesome things about the established church. And as we talk about, again, we're in established churches is that these churches have histories, right? They have people that are attached to those years and to those seasons and to all of those things. Again, in fact, I, I literally said in my sermon on Sunday, to Oregon trail that of how I, I completely see this point is not lost on me of the fact that in this current season of Oregon trail, right. That one of the reasons we are thriving is because of all of the wise, godly decisions and sacrifices that were made by people that came before us. And yet, you know, we, we have been set up for success today because of the history, you know, of the people that came before us. And like I said, that's, a very distinct difference, right? Coming into an established church versus a plant or a, a relaunch or, you know, whatever the other ways that you can, you know, revitalize a community with, with God's presence. But, you know, as we get into that to say, again, Mel was obviously one of those people that, that lived that, right. And that, that, that was a part of that in, in the, whatever church they were in. But, and again, we've mentioned a couple of times, like we, we talked right before we got on that I, about this passage in Romans chapter 12. And again, this is a passage. I actually taught it last night in a, in a class I was teaching in a small group environment. And we, we read this passage and when I read it, you know, I literally was still thinking about Mel and it was like, man, he just, he embodied this scripture. And so I just want to share it with us today. Uh, it's Romans chapter 12. Uh, and I'm going to read uh, verses six through nine. So Romans 12, starting at verse six, it says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Again, as I read those verses and I was like, man, like Mel did all of those things really well. You know, like anything he did, he did well. And and again, I and, and I'm sure there were things, right, that, that Mel wasn't good at, you know, I mean, again, he wasn't perfect. And, you know, there, there were times when I saw him get angry or upset or, you know, whatever over the years. But, um, but again, just, especially that verse nine just really stands out, right. Is like, don't pretend to love people, but really love them. Right. Well, I have, I have the NIV translation in front of me and it says it this way. Love must be sincere hate what is evil, cling to what is good. has to be sincere. It's not just a, a token or something like, uh, you know, I wear this uh, reminder on my wrist and it's a bracelet and it says love. And that's basically what they're going into there in Romans is love. And we know that from another verse that the greatest of these is love. And so like, I think in the midst of those things, when you talk about faults and failures and those things, which I have more than probably most people, but in that, the greatest thing is love. Uh, and I know that to be true from, you know, gosh, 
not only from a lay person standpoint, but if you can love your people as a, as a shepherd, you know, we're talking this ax piece that, you know, this is the whole premise for this. You know, if you love uh, these, what you're entrusted with, um, gosh, that will cover so many things. Like you could yeah. be deficient in some other areas. And I think, you know, as we create these churches and, you know, there's always going to be a split and a divide on so many things in the church, whether that's a not enough hymns, more hymns, uh, you didn't have, uh, you know, a foot washing service leading into Easter as we get to go in there. Why didn't you have that? I mean, there's a lot of things that could create division within people. Yeah. But if they know that you love them specifically as a pastor or as a parent in this instance, because uh, another one that was able to share was one of Mel's sons, Carlisle. And um, he was able to, to share that, you know, uh, the love of a father. And I think if those are the legacy pieces, whether from a father, because we know that, that is very simple. Like one of the first verses people learn uh, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we know that's in John three sixteen. but we see the father send his son in the relationship and the love that has taken place in there, man, like that love, 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 love. It's unconditional on the cross. It was undeserving and unwarranted, but it is the thing that is the grace and so if there's like one thing that I can share um, in the midst of all of our follies, if people know that you love them, that will go a long way in the grace department for the fact that, or, or maybe this one, I, I know you don't get this pastor. I don't know if that was your best sermon, <laughs> you know, like or whatever the case may be that if, if it's that part, hopefully what is shown through is the track record, the consistency, the love yeah. that has been there. And so that's been established. That's been well-documented. And um, man, I, I think that love is received, uh, you know, when Mel finished his race and he heard, well done, good and faithful servant with love. And yes. so, I think, man, love is, is such a pivotal word. And again, if Mel gets angry and those things, uh, yeah, I, I do that from time to time. Not always over the Boise State. Maybe that made him frustrated, but I have my other... Uh, failures in that department or category. So yeah, yeah, pa I'm passionate. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you know, I will definitely say again, Mel was definitely passionate about the Boise State Broncos. And I think we realized I get to say that like the last time I talked to Mel, um, literally it was about just a couple weeks before he passed. And, and again, I just, I had this prompting of the Holy Spirit to call him. And again, I, I didn't necessarily know why. And I remember I even called him. I was like, Mel, I don't, you know, we, I mean, we hadn't talked for a while. He was, again, he had some some heart things and procedures and stuff going on. And with COVID and different things we had, I mean, we had stayed in contact, but we had not met together. Right. You know, in a while. And, and like I said, I, I had, I literally told him, I'm like, no, I don't know. It just, I felt like God was really leading me to call, call and to talk to you today. And, you know, and like I said, we talked about lots of different things and, you know, now I look back at that and now, and I literally told Maureen after the funeral, I'm like, I am so thankful that I called him that day. Right. Because, and then I had that last, last conversation, obviously not knowing it was going to be the last conversation. I mean, literally one of the things we talked about was when we were going to get together again, you know, for lunch and, and, and that stuff. So again, it was, it was a shock to him as well, obviously. Um, but 
a part of that conversation. I bring that to say it because literally half that conversation was about Boise State Broncos and about, you know, that the, the coach had just left and who's going to come in and what, you know, all those predictions of, of what was going to be next and all those kind of things. And again, he was definitely, you know, passionate about that. But like I said, he, again, just as I said, he was passionate about everything he did. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't have to do anything. Yeah. And, and that was uh, again, very, um, just one of his best aspects. Right. And again, and I believe one of the reasons he was so successful in everything he did, whether it was his faith or his family, business, church, you know, whatever it was, right. That's just, I mean, he, he, he put it all out there uh, and he was all in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think more than ever, I've felt that piece where we're at, I think as pastors and as leaders, we have to be all in, you know, I mean, and we can't be divided. Um, you know, I mean, whether you look at that from the standpoint of you can't serve two masters, but truly you have to be all in, in your ministry as well. And that's a constant reminder, you know, like, uh, I think, I don't remember what the phrase was. You probably heard it as well, but it was, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing to excess or something to that regard. Right. Yeah. So, like he was that type of person, like, man, I'm going to go all in, um, and I'm going to give it the best opportunity. And there's something that you can respect about that. Again, taking it back into the, the sports world for me is you can walk off that field knowing that you gave your best. And I think that's where, again, that makes uh, some of these things where Satan in a, in a moment where we're in, and, you know, like you said, we'll talk about at a later point, what car, COVID has done for isolation and keeping us segregated and he can do his best work because we can't assemble as the body and he can try to lie and, uh, you know, allow us to not um, point to true North and to, you know, slap me around a little bit and say, Hey, straighten up. We may lose this battle. Um, but, but God wins the war. And, yeah. um, you know, so like, I think he was, an epitome of that. And so, man, I, I pray that, uh, you know, as much as one leaves us, maybe even, you know, a cry for the future would be that God would continue to raise up more people like this in the church for pastors, that they uh, know that they're valued, that they have significance, that if you need another moment, that if they're helping in a difficult time with these revitalization parts, maybe they're having and being called to part the Red Sea. Maybe they're the people that come along and hold your arms up when you're tired, right? If you're a pastor yeah. or if you're looking for a role and how do you do that? Like, man, maybe you don't even have to have a purpose. Maybe just go hang around your pastor and say, how can I help? How can I get engaged? Like, what is God speaking to you? Where's, a, where's an area that you feel called that you're not equipped right now to get into? And um, then help drill down on that, like make that a reality. If that's something that, and maybe it's not you, maybe it's the conduit. I mean, you know, the old thing, believe it or not, for if there's young people that are listening to this, including millennials, like before there was social media, networking was a real tool that you did <laughs> by word of mouth. You went and connected with people. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have these things. Yeah. Or as I tell my kiddos, book face, because I really have no presence whatsoever. So, um, 
not not from an ignorant standpoint courtney my wife she's the one that handles that uh and does well and keeps people informed from our family but it's just not my thing so yeah uh, yeah so on that point if for people that follow our podcast and all of our social media platforms now you know who's doing that right it's not tj no um, and and also there's a reason why tj's never tagged in any of our posts is because he's not on any of these platforms but which I just had to throw that out there for our audience to know the truth. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I said, look, Brian, I will, I will do this, but I am not the uh, social media person, not because of lack of talent uh, that I couldn't do it, man. I just think honestly, it's a gateway drug for me in some regards too. like, yeah, man, oh, totally. I've got so I much on my plate. Like if I start with that, I feel like I would have to like, being in the Easter season, that'd be like one of those things I'd have to give up for Lent. Like, uh, I spend like an hour each day on these platforms. I just don't have time for it right now. Maybe someday, maybe, maybe I will, but yeah, right now, no shame to those that do. Like I said, my wife does, but for me, I just don't have enough time for it. So. Yeah. Well, you know, but it's actually though, that brings us to just exactly where we were going to start this episode, but didn't, but now bleed us right back to where, we were from the last one is talking about online presence, right? How that's, and also about how we have dealt with COVID. And again, that was one of the things that we talked about, even, even after the funeral and being together. And that was, it was odd. Cause I think for both of us being at Mel's service, that was the biggest in-person gathering that either one of us have been a part of in a, over a year. Correct. Right? And And so, and, and again, just kind of the weirdness of that and like how, you know, again, we were, I mean, they're, everybody's in masks and like that kind of thing, but it's still, it was, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I know you said that it was weird. It felt weird to be in a room with that many other people. And so anyway, again, well, I guess we're going to start episode four with that again, you know, how we have dealt with COVID personally and in our churches and also our online presence and social media, you know, why I'm on it, why you're not, what, what that looks like for our churches kind of all of those things. But, um, you know, again, thank you for listening. Uh, but again, if you're there, if you're a pastor, if you're a, a lay person in the church, um, whatever, just, I hope that you guys ha- have learned from our conversation today, right. About that. We need all of these roles and that whatever your role is in the church, do it all the way. And that you are needed again, you are where you are because God needs you there. And he has equipped you to fulfill the role that you need to fulfill. Again, whether that's the pastor, whether that's a board member, a teacher, or just a faithful member who is there supporting those in those roles, um, you are needed and do it all the way. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. Acts twenty twenty eight. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. The Acts 2028 podcast is a broadcast production of In His Grip Publishing. Our theme music is Achievement by Giovanni Bruno. We'd love to hear from you on our social media accounts or through email. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Acts 2028 Podcast. Or send us an email at Acts 2028 Podcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, leave us ratings and reviews, and even give us your email so you can be notified of new episodes. 
Thank you for listening. And until next time, we hope that you will lead wherever God has put you. And together we can all live out Acts 20:28 20, as we serve in the established church.